What's happening, world? I'm your host, the Wizard of Waz, Benji Wozniak, and this week, me and Kara will be talking about Roxanne. All right. Now, I know we mentioned this movie last week when we started our talk about Cyrano de Bergerac, and I'm so excited we watched it this week, and it even had a tie into last week because Shelley Duvall was in it again. Yes, she was. She was Dixie, the cafe owner, and uh, she's actually really nice in this. She's a really sweet character, and she's uh, Steve Martin's best friend. I would say too, like if we're when watching the movie, everyone is a sweet character. I think there's no one with malintent in this movie and everyone's just like goofy and fun. You know, I mean, look at the mayor. He's just like, I want to bring people in. Let's have Oktoberfest in July. Yeah, I think the only one that was kind of a tool was Chuck, uh, the the guy that owned the, like, the dead animal uh, store. He was kind of a jerk, but other than that, everybody else was kind of cool. He was a jerk, but I thought that his jerkness was played off in a way that's like, oh, of course you hunt and have all these dead animals like you're the epitome of like a man's man who can't get the woman because he can't relate to a woman i love it yeah and he like so wanted chris the um the second main character in this the the one that steve martin helps he tries he tries to make him like this really like awesome ladies man he's like you're the guy you're you're the maestro and in fact chris really isn't he's like this guy that can't even talk to women and i thought that was so funny and we can get into this later when we talk about like the ideas of like relationships and masculinity. But like just because you're good looking doesn't mean you kill it with the ladies. Like we see Chris and he throws up at the sight of Daryl Hannah because he's so nervous. Yeah, he was like the polar opposite of um, Steve Martin. Steve Martin is the, like, you know, he's got the, the big nose. He's Cyrano de Bergerac. Fun fact, Cyrano de Bergerac was a true person and he did live. Where is it? I got it in my notes. So Cyrano de Bergerac was born on March 6th, 1690. And he died July 28th, 1635. And where is he from? That would be France. And uh, he was also a novelist, a playwright, uh, epistolarian, and a duelist. He was actually a feared duelist. People like would not make fun of him. He made comments uh, that actually Steve Martin makes in the movie that says, my nose will be arriving 15 minutes before I do. That was actually something Cyrano Bergerac really said, but no one else ever said that to him because he would kill them. Like People feared him. And I think it's so funny because we're introduced to Steve Martin's character as, and he's fighting two men in a simulated duel with with a tennis racket and he knocks him out he completely owns him it's hilarious and I think it's so funny that it was a conscious choice that he could not kill people like Cyrano de Bergerac did because like that wouldn't translate in 87 <laughs> just walking around slaying people no it wouldn't that would be a whole different movie you know that would, be, that would be like one of the boys in the hood you know that'd be Roxanne in the hood or something you know one of those things but uh you're right it was kind of funny that he he, he beats them and like they have a, a serious duel if you watch it it's really kind of coordinated and it's really a good duel and it's just so funny and I think because like looking at this scene with the duel, I think what makes this movie shine so much is how much of like Steve Martin's like physical humor is in it because he is so funny. Like he actually did write the screenplay. And so I think he really allowed himself to shine in that. And I thought he was hysterical. Yeah. And like they kind of went with the, the, the screenwrite story, like uh, the very beginning scene, Daryl Hannah locks herself out and she's she's naked and she has to hide behind bushes. And it's kind of funny because like when her and Steve Martin are walking back to her house, they're talking through a bush. And in the in the screenwrite, in the play, that actually is how Cyrano, you know, says stuff to Roxanne. He says it behind a bush because he doesn't want her to see his, uh, you know, deformity, his nose. And I think that same idea is, recipro- is uh, repeated again throughout the film when we have the scene where Steve Martin's yelling up to Roxanne as Chris. And when we see the camera, 
he's hidden behind the bushes of the trees. And then we see it again when Roxanne comes to apologize to him. So I think it's a really nice callback to the original story. Yeah, I uh, I haven't seen the, the, the new remake with um, Peter Dinklage, but uh, I'm kind of curious because, you know, Sam Reynolds Bergerac was a real person and he wasn't short. He And they made this movie specifically, I think, for Peter Dinklage so, so he could show like that just because he's small that he doesn't, you know, that doesn't really weigh on what people really think. And I think what is so great about the story of Cyrano de Bergerac is it's so universal. Being insecure about who you are because what you look like and how others perceive you, no matter how great you are. And I think that idea can be portrayed so well. We see it with, like we said, Cyrano with Peter Dinklage. There was a movie on Netflix called Sierra Burgess is a Loser that we see it. Also on Netflix is The Other Half. Um, and then again, here in Roxanne. So I think it's a story that you that someone can be insecure. And like, yes, it's fun when we see an exaggerated like extremity but i think it's also very universal yeah and it kind of plays into our podcast or you know dare to be different you know be yourself don't be ashamed of who you are i mean if you have a deformity or if you think you're ugly or you know someone doesn't think you're popular that doesn't matter just be you and enjoy your life and that's what this movie's basically about i mean steve martin just absolutely loves who he is and he doesn't care that he has well he kind of cares but that's only when people like later on but in the beginning you can see he doesn't really let that affect who he is and i think what's so great in the film too is that it shows how respected in the town he is like even more so than the mayor and I thought that was really cool. Like everyone's like, oh, don't talk about his nose because it will set him off. But I think it sets him off in a way that the person who talked about the nose is humiliated. So they're kind of saving that person. And we see it when the guy was like, oh, well, you got a big nose. And he's like, OK, I will give you 20 insults on that are better. And you look like a fool and I look cool. Everyone's cheering me on. Yeah, that was pretty funny because he's like, you know, here's a dart and whatever you get. I'll do for, for, to, for jokes and the guy's like okay and he hits it once and Steve Martin's like oh no no wait 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 and he hits it again he's like dark champ 1987 you know and Steve Martin's like okay I'll do 20 jokes and he does he rambles off 20 really funny jokes about himself and the guy gets so mad because he looks like a fool and then he tries to swing at Steve Martin and Steve Martin knocks him out and so it's like you really you can't mess with CD CD Bales which I thought was a fun way to do Cyrano de Bergerac in a modern telling but I thought it was really cool and interesting to see i mean okay do you have any other thoughts on cyrano as a character before we get into the deception and the love story so as a character i feel cyrano is one of those people that he's a very caring loving individual that wants to help people but he feels that like his own insecurities kind of like set him back from being the forefront when actually he is the forefront he's the person that like everybody looks to for like guidance and wisdom but in his own insecurity about his nose like he kind of falls back behind he wants to be behind the scenes instead of right up front exactly and i think he says this great line that when rewatching it it really broke my heart when he was like you know i see people and they're happy and they're in love and they're walking down the street and i want that and i think i can have it and then i look at my own shadow and i'm reminded why i can't and i thought that that was so powerful because it's like so you're the only one standing in your way because you can have that. You see that Daryl Hannah falls in love with your personality. Granted, she's a little superficial if she, <laughs> and kind of dumb, but we can get into that. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, it's like a lot of things in life. Like we hold ourselves back and like we say we can't do it. Like people like they'll write a poem and like, oh, it's not good enough. Or they'll write a story like, oh, it's not good enough. Or there's a job opening. And they're like, oh, I don't, I'm not qualified enough. We are our worst nightmare. Absolutely. And I think this story is great because it shows that like when you don't hold yourself back and you do put yourself first and what you want, 
then you can end up happy and you can get everything you want. You know, the firemen ended up working together and finally could put out a fire. I mean, the chorus of silly firemen killed me throughout the whole movie. And I mean, a surprise um, appearance by Damon Waynes. That was a young Damon Waynes. That really threw me too. Yeah, his character, he, he doesn't really do much. Uh, like this one scene where an older man knocks him out and he's like laying on the ground and the guy's like, he owes me 50 bucks. I thought that was really funny because it's Damon Wayans and you just, you don't picture him like in this movie, but he was in this movie and, and he's part of this cast and it, maybe it was him starting out, but he is there. So if you got to, you just got to look for him. Yeah, but I thought that, play, that the players of firemen, like Steve Martin comes into the firehouse and there's like a fire and they're all upstairs he's like you know people if there's a fire they're gonna want to call us we can't have them not call us we've got to learn how to put this out so i thought and then seeing their transition to like working together i thought was really nice so i thought that was uplifting and it really showed how people respected cd as a captain and as a person and as a mentor and a leader even though he didn't see all those things himself yeah there's actually a part where they, they rescue snowball the cat and all the firemen are hanging from this tree trying to get this cat out and steve martin just walks up with a can of like cat food and opens it up and snowball comes running down but it just shows like how he really is like someone that thinks things through knows things real fast he doesn't have to like think about what he wants to do he just does it and i think that's because he's such a naturally intelligent person and if we wanted to connect it back to Time Bandit, similar to Kevin, he is always searching for knowledge in this. We see it when Dixie's like, oh yeah, I can hardly pull him away from those encyclopedias. Like he's always like reading and learning and bettering himself. And that's one of the reasons why Roxanne falls for him. She wants to have that intelligent relationship. She wants to have that conversation. But because she is smart herself, she's in school, she's in grad school. She's finding a comet. Yeah, she's extremely intelligent. You know, I was thinking about the whole Shelley Duvall being in the movie. Her Vincent and Pansy are star-crossed lovers that, you know, never can be together. And this is kind of like how Steve Martin views his, you know, Roxanne. That he's, he wants to be with her, but he feels he can never truly be with her. Because, and I think and I think when we see that he feels that he can never be truly with her is when they're hiking up the mountain. And she's like, you know, I have something inappropriate. Like, I like someone. I, and she lists off all these things. And in his head, he's like, this is me. Until she's like, Chris. And then the reveal is that it's not him. So I think it's really heartbreaking because then in his mind, you can see he like kind of like it shifts in him. He's like, oh, wait, she even though at the bar with her friend, she's like, you know, people are cute, but they probably only have half a brain. I need intelligence. I need this. And she gets that in Steve Martin and immediately breezes by it for someone hot. And he brings that up in their fight at the end. Yeah. And like when she says, you know, he's good looking, Steve Martin kind of does a double take in that conversation. He's like, uh, no, the person, they don't think I'm good looking. And she's like, you know, but he didn't say that to her. He's like, who are you talking about? She's like, oh, Chris, and you can see his heartbreak. He's like, you know, oh, like everything she des desires was there. And then until he said, she said that he was good looking, then he knew it wasn't him. It didn't, shouldn't have mattered. And at the end, that's what really comes out that it doesn't matter. Of course, it doesn't matter. But then we have this one scene and I know that Chris starts off talking to her and then Steve Martin ends up talking to her but she is friends with both of them and she spends enough time with both of them that she would be able she's like why is your voice different and I was like okay bitch you are a rocket like a you are an astrophysicist and you can't figure out that this is two different people and he brings it up too he's like you could you he was like you knew it was me and you wanted it to be him you wanted someone hot and she kind of like stops and she's like maybe I do which is fine I mean 
mean, you don't have to be attracted to someone right away. But I also think she was really dumb in that one scene. Yeah. And like in that scene, he really like Steve Martin really spills his guts about how he feels for her. And like he just goes off and it like totally melts her. And she quit. She ends up like going with Chris. And then when Steve Martin realizes just how good he did with his job that he hooked them up, he feels absolutely terrible. And like he's just distraught. And I mean, I think it's so interesting, too, because we watch we watch this scene unfold and then she's like, come up and you actually see he actually starts to go up like in that very acrobatic way that he likes to scale her home. And he starts to go up and then you Chris is like, what are you doing, bro? I'm going up. And he's like, but Chris says and I have so many notes about it. And in that scene, he's like, she's falling for us. We're doing it. He's like, we did this. And it's like, Chris, you did nothing but look good. Like you're an idiot dude but I thought it was really funny how he kept combining him and Steve Martin like they were this like he was a full person with him not on his own yeah and I felt like he needed Steve Martin to be a whole person whereas Steve Martin doesn't need anybody to be a whole person but feels he does exactly and then I think when we see Sandy and Chris at the bar together when they're chatting and she's like wow you're such a good card dealer and he's like joking with her and she's like wow you're really funny and I feel like we can see Chris finally like relaxing and being himself because that's all he wanted he says it to Steve Martin he goes you know I just want like when I'm with the firehouse guys and myself and we see him have that comfort level with Sandy so I think it also shows like maybe the first person maybe what you think you want isn't what you want and I think that's a theme throughout the story yeah and I think Chuck having like that first conversation with Chris is like you know you're the maestro you're the ladies man and and, like I think it made him really uncomfortable and then he felt like he had to be that and then like then he couldn't be himself and then when Daryl Hannah and kind of likes him he doesn't know who to be he's like you know I want to be just me and he never gets to be that until the pot when he meets Sandy and I think it's so funny too because like he comes to Steve Martin's house and he's so proud he's like look at this letter I wrote check yes if you want to go out with me and Steve Martin's like how long did you work on this and he was like all day and he was like um what no this is bad like this is a bad letter so I think it shows that like he was getting so much rejection before he even started courting Roxanne that it it never would have was gonna work and I think that's part of the point yeah and at the end when she has both letters written like the one that's saying goodbye from truly him and then and then the one that Steve Martin had written that Shelley Duvall threw under the um the door and she's like look at this look at this and he's like oh yeah you know and then you see Martin's like yeah yeah truly (laughs) he's like look how he spelled it you know and it's just funny I thought that was so funny because I was like Steve Martin you petty king I would point out spelling mistakes too in a letter like he's like I put in all this work and wrote all these things and you can't even spell truly right oh my god it was so funny but I thought that fight was really interesting because I think they both brought up really good points about like how he was like okay but you saw that the signature was vastly different from the handwriting like how many things did you have to ignore to like make yourself believe what you wanted to believe like were looks that important to you yeah and he even says it he's like you know it didn't take much to get you in the bed he's like it just took a couple of sweet words and you know it kind of pisses her off and then you know they go outside on the porch and she's like go go now and he's like no you go inside and she's like no you get off my porch he's like no you go inside i am outside i thought that was so it was such an interesting fight and i think what she's feeling and why she gets so mad is that she probably feels like humiliated like i would have felt humiliated if i was in her situation like thinking you're falling in love with one person and then having it be someone else the whole time like that level of deception like how could you and then still be my friend i don't know like i can see why she gets mad because it's it's ultra personal but at the same time like I would love to have seen the morning after with her and Chris because like what did he just sneak out like did they not talk the next morning because he can't even say a coherent thing we see that on the porch 
I think the funny part when Steve Martin's like, he's like, oh, I was so nervous. He's like, so nervous you couldn't perform? And he's like, no, so nervous I couldn't go for the third time. And Steve Martin's heart drops. He's like, what? You know? <laughs> and like, you know, that was, the part was really funny because like Steve Martin's like, damn, he, he did do it with the, and he like even tried to stop them from doing it because he sent those old ladies saying that there was aliens that wanted to have sex with older women because <laughs> they were more experienced. The gaggle of old ladies was one of the best like comic relief things I have seen in a movie like it, from when they're at Dixie's and he's like, you know, ladies, a big m- nose means and they're like, oh, my God, to like them then being so horny that they're going to go have sex with aliens. Like I loved it. They were so funny because they were so just like true to themselves. They're like, are we sure we want to miss Dallas for this? And they're like, yep, let's go. Yeah. Do you truly believe there's a bunch of aliens that want to have sex with older women? I want to find out. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. I mean, they, they were funny. And like the whole ca- the whole thing is really cute and funny, you know, but it's a very good lesson that, you know, just be yourself. I mean, you shouldn't have to hide who you are. And if a person doesn't like you for you, then they're not worth it. Exactly. And I think it's so important because Steve Martin says a conversation on the hike. He goes, you know, like feelings can change attractiveness. So I did. I do believe that he thought that Daryl Hannah was calling him attractive because he was like, oh, like you can see past that. And my my personality makes me good looking to you, which is like the moral of the story is that looks don't matter. And like you need chemistry and you need and you need something that bonds you and that you have common ground. on. Yeah, there's there's actually a couple of scenes where like the person that you imagine to be a certain way isn't like one of the firemen he seems like he's like a total idiot and like not smart chris ends up getting a book for him and it's like like this really advanced reading and like he's like i was embarrassed to go get it myself yeah so then and then in that scene daryl hannah believes that chris is buying this very philosophical french book about like the outlook of life and she's admiring him from a distance and she's like wow he's like this smart quiet mysterious man like he knows so much and then outside we see that chris gives it to i think his name's like fred or something i don't know frank maybe and it's so funny because you're like oh and he's like yeah i can't even speak french you see it the book um sellers like speaks in french to him he's like uh-huh like chris is just so dumb <laughs> yeah like when steve martin's talking in his ear the hat comes off and everything and they having that they're having the radio uh, confusion and then he has to do it for himself and he's like he just totally like you could see like what an idiot he truly is he's like i like your tits uh, your, your pillows and like he's just totally blo- and like steve martin's like oh my god what are you doing and it was so funny because before that, when the, the signals get crossed and he starts like reporting like the police dispatcher and he's like, oh, I'm stopping myself from not a crime, a crime of loving you. And it was like so stupid. It was like, how how foolish do you have to be to believe that this person's a not stroking out or just a complete idiot? <laughs> Yeah, she. I, I think all along she knew. There was no way you couldn't know. I mean, just watching her. And like you said, she's like this like genius like astronomer. That, like, is going to get a comet coming to Earth. And she figures all this out. But she can't figure out that the guy talking to her who doesn't make any sense at all is not writing this like beautiful poetry like that like just melts her heart. It's so funny. And then so she goes away for a week. And this is when I was like, the U.S. Postal Service was never this fast. CD was writing her three letters a day and she got all 20 of them. 
them? How? How? That does not make sense. Email was not invented yet. She goes to Chris. She goes, tell me about the letters. He's like, yeah, I wrote like 20, I think. That's not about the let. Like, I don't know. She excused a lot for someone. And I thought for as much as Daryl Hannah excused, they could have casted a much better looking man because Chris was not good looking. So I think that was kind of one of the things like they made him out to be like this really like awesome God looking like man. And he was just plain. He was just like, I was like, uh, even like, I, I'm, I'm not judging. Listen, I'm just saying as a guy, I looked at him and went, yeah, this is, that's not that this like Fabio or someone in the 80s that would have been much better played by that. I mean, he wasn't muscular. He wasn't like outstanding. His face was kind of long like a horse. I mean, I was like, I was like, what is this? Like, and all they were like, oh, he's so dreamy. I'm like, what? <laughs> I fully agree with that. And then there's like one scene when Sandy's like, ooh, the Vikings here. I want to put him in bronze. I was like, why? Because he's brutish and you don't want to steal with him. Like he is not good. But I thought there was one interesting scene when he is at the firehouse. He's speaking to another fireman, Chris, and the camera kind of zooms in on them and they're talking about CD's nose and how big it is and how you can't look at it. But the camera keeps zooming in to the point where it's just like kind of a frame of their faces and both of their noses are almost touching in kind of a comedic way way because they're as people have what we would consider a big nose versus what they consider to be a big nose because they have CD's comically large one and I thought that was really funny to like portray that like they're surrounded by big noses but like everyone can only focus on how big this one nose is yeah it's, it's really, it really it was really funny he does go to like a person that can take his nose off and like redo it but he has like an allergy to um, anesthesia and he can't have it done so he's got these pictures of noses and he's putting them up to his face he's like yeah you're the one and I was like what the I'm like, I mean, I guess, you you know, if you, if you had a deformity and like something like would look better on you, you could dream about it like he was doing. But it just was so funny because the guy's like, maybe you have a reason for having this nose. And he's like, what? <laughs> and I thought it was so funny, too, because and that scene, he's like, fine, let's do it the old fashioned way. And he grabs a bottle like he's going to get drunk and he's just going to hack off his nose. I was like, oh, Steve Martin, how desperate you are for love. But actually, I thought it was kind of cool in the beginning. We see him actually drink a glass of wine through his nose because she didn't have a straw. And I was like, first of all, if you have elephant tricks like that, why would you ever want to get rid of it? Yeah, it was kind of funny, too, because like later on, when he's talking to Shelly Duvall, he drinks a glass of water it was like prop fine, no problem. But he's with Della and he has to drink it through his nose i was like what what <laughs> maybe he was just like trying to impress her because like he was like nervous also i thought that scene was incredibly weird so he saves daryl hannah right and then he brings her back home and then she's like oh do you want to stay for a while he's like oh i've already made myself food let's eat and she's like oh i guess i have some wine here like make yourself at home so i thought it was like i guess i don't know why they included it because like he doesn't seem to be this presumptuous guy but i was like this is kind of bizarre yeah and i also like the point out that it was like 6 a.m. in the morning and it's like pounding back wine and cheese and I'm like what what the hell is this I'm like you know I could see if it was like dinner or something but this is like early in the morning where she locks herself out so it's not like even past noon and they're pounding back wine so listen not not appropriate <laughs> not appropriate and it was just so funny also just like who is fully naked under a robe I want to know because that was insane she I was like you don't have anything on girl come on and then okay if we're gonna nitpick this scene because I had a lot of thoughts when I was watching it is they're walking through the bushes right and 
he's like, I'm not looking. I'm a gentleman. I'm not looking. And then he goes, well, I like to know that you don't have any tattoos. I think that's very Jackie Onassis of you. And I was like, if you're not looking, how do you know that she doesn't have any tattoos? Like, come on, dude. Yeah, well, when they go in the house and he goes, I'm not looking now. Yeah, so he was looking. <laughs> I mean, he's a guy and she's a good looking woman. He can't help it. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not condoning this man. I'm not saying that. And also, I would like to point out to Rick Rozovich, who plays Chris. I am sorry if you think I'm picking on you <laughs> just so you don't hunt me down and beat me down. Here's the thing. I'm actively picking on you. So <laughs> let's fight. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, but truly, no. But I thought like the character of Chris was very silly. And I thought it was funny that he's like, you know what? I don't even want to be a firefighter. I want to go be a car dealer. Like, follow your dreams, baby. I love that. Yeah. Like this polar opposite. It's like, you know, a career that's like positive and helpful to people. And then you want to go be a blackjack dealer and like totally steal everybody's stuff. I mean, I was like, oh, okay. You're taking a totally different way but i liked it because i felt like sandy was so solid in her plan she was like you know what i'm a bartender i'm gonna be a young hot bartender in tahoe because they like young cocktail waitresses and then she's like and then when i get old i'm gonna go to reno because that's where they like old cocktail waitresses and she was happy she's like i know how to make my money and i have a plan and i think her plan was more achievable and more relatable to chris than roxanne because she was like i'm looking for a comet i'm an astro physicist i need in- i need intelligence not saying that sandy and chris aren't intelligent but there are different levels and these t- and i think that's why roxanne and cd are like an a couple and then sandy and chris are a b couple yeah i agree each one found their match and that's how like the story played out each one found the person they were supposed to be with in life i mean chris was going to go traveling wanting to do what he wanted to do with sandy and roxanne wanted someone to be steady and sturdy like to stand by her side and that was steve martin and i think she also wanted someone who would challenge her in a way because she was always like write to me talk to me let's have a conversation and she's like yeah if i also want someone nice to look at but i mean the nose was fine it wasn't it, it was it was comically big not really that big well he did have a bird perch on it so i'm just saying <laughs> it might be a little big i mean i'm not trying to say anything but it was you know a bird did perch on it <laughs> very true very true but I don't know. I thought it was overall, I thought it was good. And I thought the message was good. And I think it's an important message. And I think that's why stories like Cyrano de Bergerac, similar to like Little Women, are stories that can be told over and over and over again, because they are timeless. And you can just adapt them into a modern context, and they'll still hit just as hard. We also see it with West Side Story. West Side Story is a classic tale, no matter when you set it. Yeah, this is true. Now, Roxanne was filmed in Nelson, British Columbia, and they actually used sites from that city. And the firehouse is on Ward Street. So they do have a tour if you wanted to, like, to take a walk and see that the stuff uh, Roxanne. That's actually so cool. I love when places do things like that. Like I would go to the firehouse. I'd want to go to Dixie's and I'd want to go to that bar because that bar had a cool setup, like the balcony and then like the stage at, that you play darts on. I was like, I want to go here. British Columbia's got it hooked up. Right. It, and it was beautiful. Like when they're sitting on the roof and he's talking to the young boy that like everybody's making fun of calling him fat and he can relate to like the, the kids problems. And he's like, let's just sit here. But if you look in the backdrop, it's an amazing view of like, like the mountains and everything. It's actually really stellarly beautiful. It is beautiful and i think it's so funny that you bring that scene up because i love that scene but in speaking of filming right now i don't know if you know there's a big discussion on movie budgets and why 
why are movies with such big budgets being filmed on green screens versus filmed like in real life? And the examples being used are Spider-Man and Batman because you can really tell. But I think with this film, it excels in filming in on set, like on site in British Columbia because it makes it so much more stunning. And this movie did not have a big budget. No, I think also times are changing. Like when people were filming in locations, the locations actually loved that. They were like, oh, film here. But then later on, like they were like, oh, I can make money. And then they started bleeding the, the movie companies. Like uh, Lynn Mass is my hometown and they filmed Black Friday. Black Friday? Was it with the Johnny Depp about the Black Mass? And um, they got a lot of money for that. And then like it kind of it's kind of shunning people away from wanting to use real locations because half their budget is going to be paying the location. Which I totally understand, but it looks so much better. I watch it like I'll watch. I can watch Lord of the Rings, which was all filmed on location. And it holds up being from tw- 2001 to any superhero movie I watch today that is mostly filmed on green screen. It is incredibly different, the amount of like work that you can do. I agree. And oh, by the way, Lynn Mass, I love you. You get that money, boy. You get that money. You don't play that. Get that money. <laughs> and it's true, but it's also good to like be putting money back into the community. But I understand like you can't, especially when actors are so expensive. Everything's going up. Prices of things are going up. But this isn't really a conversation I want to have. I just want to point out that we can still see the beauty in something made from 87 by filming on location. The quality is there and it is still breathtaking. Oh, 100%. And you can tell if something's on the green screen. Like, just looking at the, the way it looks, it just doesn't look right. I mean, it looks good, but it doesn't look right. You tell it's like fake. And, you know, people, I don't know if that's the way people want to view things nowadays, but I'd rather see something that's real, original, and, you know, actual locations, you know, like Lost Boys and things like that. When, when they film these locations and they actually talk about the, the, the heritage and the stuff that goes on in those those areas, it's 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 stunning. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. That is everything I love like about film is like how it can bring in fiction with real life. And it's just beautiful. Well, this is a big tangent from Roxanne, but Roxanne is all about being yourself and being true to yourself and knowing that the outside is not real. It's on the inside that matters. No, so there is exciting news. We're going to have our own webpage and uh, it's going to have a bunch of stuff where you can go on to our podcast. We'll have different pictures and some film shorts and uh you know things like that from what's happening and other things there'll be a blog that like Kara will do I will do and a couple other people will do they talk about whatever you want and they're going to talk about what they want and you can respond and it's going to be interactive and fun and we look forward to hearing from you all yeah we're really excited to get to know our community and we want you guys to get to know each other and like like we said this podcast is all about being yourself and like embracing who you are and loving film and having fun and like being silly so we want us to we really want to bring this community together because we really do it for you guys and we have so much fun bringing you content every week so I I hope you guys had a great time listening to us again and uh we hope that you tune in next week when we talk about another subject we haven't really picked one yet but we will because that's what we do so uh <laughs> if karen wants to say her last goodbye goodbye y'all yeah i don't know what we're gonna do next week there's we have so many ideas um we might have a guest on our show soon so big things to come stay tuned and stay listening and tune in next time to what's happening